Right now, take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27 may be exactly what someone here this morning needs to hear for the Spirit of God to begin to, to speak hope and encouragement into your life. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. This is part two of what I've called royal authority as we continue talking about royalty and, and uh, noble living in a needy world. We're talking about royal authority. Last week we saw the authority recognized by a centurion. This week we see the authority of Christ even over the elements, even over the weather. And it says, now when he got into a boat... His disciples followed Him. Suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But He was asleep. Then His disciples came to Him and awoke Him, saying, Lord, save us! We are perishing. But He said to them, Why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then He arose and He rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey Him? As we pray this morning and ask the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts, I want us to um, remember Lieutenant Paul A. Hyder. He's a chaplain in the United States Navy. He'll be ministering today in San Diego, California. And uh, we have at our Welcome Center cards like this with names and locations of our military chaplains. I would encourage some of you this morning, just stop by the Welcome Center, pick one of these up on your way out, and pray for these chaplains as they minister in, in more increasingly politically incorrect days in which to do so. But, uh, but let's remember their services. We pray for ours this morning as well. Father, we come to Your presence. We thank You for Your Word that speaks to us even in the midst of the storms of life. And Lord, I don't know what's on the heart or the mind of every man, woman, boy, and girl in here this morning, but Father, You do. And Lord, I know that Your Spirit wants to meet us right where we are, and You don't want to leave us the way we are. You want to change us from the inside out. And I pray that You would do so, and I pray this especially would take place even in my heart today, Lord, that You would show me what You're trying to teach me, what You want Your body to hear and see and experience. Lord, we lift up Chaplain Hyder there in San Diego, California, and I pray that today when he gathers with our troops that they will have a spirit of revival. Lord, for all of those serving as we've just celebrated Veterans Day, those serving around the world, Lord, make Yourself real to them and present in a special way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be Seated, John Emmons writes of the lack of faith of an animal called the impala. Uh, some of you know that an impala is an animal, others of you thought it was just a Chevrolet, right? An impala, an interesting thing about these things, uh, they can jump as high as 10 feet. Well, that's a pretty good vertical leap, wouldn't you say? 10 feet. Well, I don't know. I don't know what some of the we've got some young men over here that have pretty good verticals. Some of them that play basketball, like Sam, can get up. But I, you know, ten feet. Um, that's not. That's not dunking these goals. That's jumping as high as the rims on these goals. Pretty high. 
But do you realize that you can keep an impala in an enclosed area with a three feet wall? Isn't that interesting? You can keep them enclosed in an area with a wall that is three feet high. Say, how is that? If they can jump over a wall that high. It's because an impala refuses to jump where it cannot see its feet are going to land. If they can't see where their feet are going to land, they will not jump in that direction. So because they can't see it, they're convinced they can't do it. And sometimes Christians are like that when it comes to our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't think we're going to survive. We don't think that we're going to do great things for God. We don't think that God's going to intervene in the midst of of the storms because we simply can't see it. You might say, well, I know there's a way out, but I can't see the way out. That wall seems high, not because it is greater than the potential of Christ in you. The wall seems high simply because you can't see where your feet are going to land on the other side of the storm that you're in. You've said it before. Maybe even some of you have said it this week. I don't know how this is going to turn out. And because we don't know how situations are going to turn out, we refuse to advance in faith, believing that God is going to do something great. Now last week we talked about royal authority, when the problem kind of originates in us, uh, maybe something that we're dealing with, that we feel like we have some control over. Today I want us to look at it when the storm is external, when it's outside of us, when it is completely out of our control. This text is closely related, by the way, to the cost of discipleship passage that frames the context. In the preceding verses, if you go back to verse 18, it says, when Jesus saw the great multitudes about Him. But by the way, the size of the crowd was not what impressed Jesus. It was the heart of individuals. He saw that there was a big crowd. And in lots of places today, and listen, I don't think there's a problem with lots of numbers. As a matter of fact, there's a book in the Bible titled Numbers, and we need to be about reaching more and more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are places today where there are large crowds, but very few disciples. So don't always be impressed by the, by the mega churches that you see on television, because there may or may not be a building full of disciples in those situations. He saw the crowds. And he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then certain scribe, before they could get into the boat even, certain, uh, a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, you're going to have to leap and not know where your feet are going to land. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. What Jesus said here seemed to be without compassion. I mean, after all, He wants to bury His Father. But Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Which was a picture, a picture of, hey, don't worry about the spiritually dead right now. I'm offering spiritual life. And some say that the guy perhaps wanted to go bury his father because what he was really concerned with was making sure he got his inheritance before he moved on with Jesus. Perhaps he was concerned about material things and the things of this world before he advanced into what God had for him in spiritual things. Regardless, Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship. That things aren't always easy for disciples. The Son of 
God, when he walked on this earth, didn't always have it made in the shade, so to speak. Life has its storms. And the encounter on the sea that we just read teaches disciples that they need to face some facts about discipleship. This morning we need to face some facts about what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Facts to face regarding the royal authority of Christ in our lives. And so as, as we look at some facts this morning, we'll look at facts based on a reality, we'll look at facts based on a rebuke, and we'll look at facts based on a revelation. So we're going to see a reality that we all need to embrace. We need to see this rebuke that Jesus gave his disciples, and even the storm, and we certainly need to see what it is he's trying to reveal to us. So let's begin with a reality. Here's the reality. Following Jesus is not an exemption from the storms. Can I get an amen? Following Jesus is not an exemption from storms. Verse 23, after Jesus had said, you know, we're going to the other side, he was interrupted, hey, we're going to go with you, not all of you are ready for this, he's explained. In verse 23, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Why did his disciples follow him anyway? Because that's what disciples do. By very definition, a disciple is one who learns from and follows their teacher. And so these disciples followed him. They had basically sang the hymn that you, many of you sang in churches when you were little, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. There would come a time even in Peter's life when all the crowds were being kind of filtered out and they were not going, to, discipleship was just too radical for many of the big crowds and so, so Jesus looks at the twelve and he says, are you going to depart too? Are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Wherever you go, Jesus, that's where we're going. Wherever he leads, I'll go. So disciples followed him because that's what disciples do. Even into the boat, even to head out into the sea. Now, during this time, mythologically, the sea often represented a scary place, a frightening place, a place where man had no control, a place where fictional or maybe perhaps in their minds not-so-fictional creatures could overtake them. So the sea often represented that, that place of evil, that place of fear, that place that was frightening. And now here it is at night, and these men, some of them had actually fished the sea many times at night, but they're going out with Jesus because that's where he's headed to see in the boat to the other side. And even though they were disciples, even though they loved Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, even though they had committed their lives to him and said, wherever you lead, I'll go, the storm still came. It says in verse 24, suddenly, as if out of nowhere, a great tempest arose on the sea. The word tempest or storm here is not the word that's typically used for storm. In fact, it's the word seismos, where we get seismology from. It, it has to do with like an earthquake that had so rattled the earth at that time while they were out to sea that they thought the sea was literally going to open them up or open up and swallow them into its midst. This was an unbelievable storm. They knew that they were in big trouble, or at least they thought they were. Kind of like the, the picture of an, of an earthquake. Some of you remember the, the um, 
one of the first Superman movies when, when the earthquake happens and along the fault line the earth is opening up and, and Lois Lane kind of falls down, you know, but, but never fear, Superman is here, right? And he, and he, and he somehow flies backwards around the earth to, <laughs> to spin the earth back in time so he could go back. And, and some of you are saying, if I had known I was going to get into a boat that took me into these storms, uh, man, I would like to just back everything up and make some different decisions than what I did. See, following Jesus does not mean no storms. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 says, It rains on the just and the unjust. Storms are going to come. So just because you got saved, just because you're sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit of God does not mean storms are not going to come your way. And in fact, sometimes you will face storms simply because you're going against the grain. You're walking against the direction that those on that broad road that lead to destruction are walking. But, I would rather be in the boat with Jesus in a storm than not in the boat with Jesus in the calm. I'd rather be in the boat with Jesus in a storm than not in the boat with Jesus in the calm. Now in this storm, the disciples began to look for Jesus. I believe they were looking for someone with composure. Well, he certainly had composure. He was still asleep. Didn't rattle him, right? In the midst of a storm, people, and I think the world are, are, is looking for disciples looking for true Christ followers who maintain their composure in the midst of the storms of life. Remember the commercial, those of you who are my age and older, perhaps? Dan Reeves was coaching the Denver Broncos, 1984. Gillette came out with a new deodorant called Dry Idea. That's a good name for deodorant, right? Dry Idea. Dan Reeves is sitting there in the Broncos football stadium. Cool, calm, collective. This, this uh, Georgia native who's, who's made it big time now in coaching. This was in his early years before he got to the Falcons. But uh, Dan Reeves is, is sitting there, and he makes a statement in this commercial. He said, there's three nevers in coaching. Number one, never let the press pick your starting quarterback. Number two, and by, by the way, I think that's the year he got Elway, so he did a pretty good job. Number two, never take a last place team lightly. Number three, but you can fill in the blank, never, ever let them see you sweat. <laughs> never let them see you sweat. And, and so you're watching a commercial back then, and you're like, you know, like me, 14-year-old a- athlete wannabe, want, wanting to say, I want to have that kind of composure. Dan Reeves, you know, he's a man. Never. Ever let them see you sweat. The world is looking for people with composure that they can look to and say, you know what? They don't look so rattled by all of this. They, they've maintained their composure. We even use the phrase to this day. Some of you are like, when did that get popular? Never let them see you sweat. As far as I know, with Dry Idea back in 1984, with all their commercials back then. But, but today we even say, hey, no sweat. No sweat. Until a storm comes. That can be difficult when things are out of our control and storms are going to come. But Jesus is going to be with you in the midst of the storm. So you have to trust that you've applied the principles that we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. By this time, these disciples had heard that. They had heard that the wise builder builds his house upon the rock so when the storms come, when the rains come, and when the floods come, that they will not be washed away, be swept away. And they might have said, well, wait a minute. Spiritually, we're on the rock, but... Physically, we're not on the rock. We're out in the midst, not even on the sand. We're in the sea. 
So that's where faith has to come in. You're like, wait a minute. This isn't on the rock. But spiritually, they were to be on the rock because they were with the rock of all ages, Jesus Christ. See, the weather becomes a picture here of things that we don't have control over. I mean, sometimes we wish we could control the weather. We could control the weather. Some of you would have it sunny all the time. It would be, we would have 86 degree afternoons year round. Others of you would have it just like this. The deer would be moving on the cool mornings. We'd have pleasant fall afternoons. Others, like my wife, we would have about 40 days of snow out of the year if we could control the weather. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing, right? See, weather is something we can't control. Weather is something we can't even predict too well. There are other things in life, however, that you can't control, you can't predict, you don't see it coming. It comes out of nowhere and it hits you suddenly. The economy is something we can't control. We have no control over the economy. There are some of you who are frustrated because you can't control your kids anymore. Well, when they were young, you had a little bit of control, but as they get older, you start letting go. And, and you hate letting go because you feel like, man, I'm losing my, my control, and my kids are going to make some bad decisions, and I have no control over that. We'd like to control them. There, there are kids that are... <laughs> Not kids anymore, they're in their 30s, and mom or dad is still trying to control them, and, and you can't do that. You have to let them go. And you say, well, I'm going to get some grandkids, and I'm going to control them. And if I can't control them, I'm going to send them back home and get on to their parents for not controlling them. See, eventually, children become young adults. They become first teenagers that begin to make their own decisions, and we begin to let go. We move, as we saw in our men's fraternity Bible study this past week, we have to move from being that coach to backing off and kind of being a cheerleader and not controlling them as much as we used to. We lose control, and they're going to go through storms in life that we have no control over. We have to trust God with them. There are diseases in this world that we have no control over. We're trying to do our best to keep Ebola and other things at bay, but the truth of the matter is there are diseases in this world that come and go. There are sickness. There are people that take care of themselves ten times better than me, and for some reason they go through all kinds of health issues. We have no control over that. That's in the hands of a sovereign God. Sometimes we're frustrated because we can't control our leaders. We can't control what's happening in Washington, D.C. with our political leaders, or Atlanta, Georgia with our political leaders. We can't control our spiritual leaders. Sometimes We can't control our parents, grandparents. We lose control. It's, it's like the weather. We can't control our enemies. We can't control our friends. We might try to, but listen, if you become a controlling friend, then you will become manipulative. And you'll be the one out of control. Young people get in trouble all the time because they get in these dating relationships and they try to control their boyfriend or their girlfriend. I want to control. I want to, I want to determine their decision-making you can't control people like that. You have to put people in God's hands, even our friends and our enemies. So there's a reality here. Following Jesus is not exemption from storms because there are simply things in life that we do not have control over, and it's raining on the just and the unjust. And so in the midst of this storm and their panic, 
we find, secondly, a rebuke. We find a rebuke, and here's the rebuke. Following Jesus brings the expectation of faith. When we talk about this, it almost seems like a no-brainer until it comes time to put it into practice, and then, then we don't think about it like we should. Following Jesus brings the expectation of faith. Now, by the way, in verse 25, before we're too critical, at least they knew who to go to. His disciples came to him and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. These terms by this time, even here early in the first century, had become to the place where they were used spiritually more often than they were used to talk about literal situations. So, Lord, save us, we are perishing, sometimes carried spiritual connotations. Save us, deliver us from the evil that is around us, because we're dying spiritually. The spiritual had become quite literal in their lives. They went to Jesus. The problem is they went in fear and not in faith. Aren't you glad that God is so gracious that He doesn't turn us away when we come to Him in fear instead of faith? I mean, He's going to rebuke them, obviously. (laughs) We see the rebuke, but He doesn't turn them away simply because they come in fear instead of faith. At least they're coming to Him. Now, it's better to go to Him in faith than to go to Him in fear, but by all means, go to Him in the midst of the storms. His words almost remind me of the words of Martha. When Jesus comes and Martha thinks, you're four days late. Lazarus has been dead for four days. You love Him. You didn't show up. You could have healed Him. And now He's dead beyond any help. And the point that Jesus explained to Martha is not... He wasn't four days late. He was right on time. He was on his time because he had a bigger plan than Martha had. She said, if you'd have been here, he would have lived. Well, he's going to live, Jesus said. No, no, no. I know he's going to live in the resurrection. We're going to see him again in heaven. That's wonderful, but I mean, we would still have him with us. Now we've got to wait till the resurrection. And Jesus looked at Martha and said, I am the resurrection. I think that was kind of a rebuke. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he spoke those words, Lazarus, come forth. There was was a rebuke to Martha in that setting. He met her where she was. He understood her brokenness. But as he rebuked her, he still went and met that great need of that moment that was much bigger than the plan that Martha had had. So the rebuke seems more harsh here because here he was with them. Here he was in the boat. And note, his first rebuke is not to the wind and the waves. His first rebuke is not to the storm. It's to his disciples. So he said to them, why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Why are you so fearful? See, the better response of the disciples, as they would grow in grace and as they would grow in their faith, I think they would come to understand this, they would come to a place like James, the half-brother of Jesus, came when he was writing his epistle. And in James chapter 1, he said, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. In other words, when the storms come, count it all joy because God's going to use that storm. Count it all joy. Why, James? Why count it all joy? Because the testing of your faith produces patience. And you're going to let patience have its perfect work that you might be mature and complete. You might grow up a little bit. 
God uses storms to help you grow up. That's not fun, is it? It's not fun, but it's God's way. God uses storms. God uses trials to help you grow and mature and become the man of God, the woman of God, God desires you to be. Think for a moment about what storm you may be facing in life. What's your greatest challenge? Young people, what's your greatest challenge at school right now? You're like, school? What else? What's your greatest test? What's your greatest challenge? What's the most difficult relationship? What's the student or the teacher? Who is it that's most hardest to put up with on a daily basis? God is trying to use them in your life to grow you up. Before we say amen too loud to the young people, adults, where are you at? Who do you work with? Who's, who's, who's your boss? What kind of friction do you encounter in the workplace, in your community, in your home? God is using perhaps storms and others in your life to grow you up and mature you in the faith. And so He rebukes the disciples before He rebukes the storm. And when I see this, I think of the words of the musicians Phillips, Craig, and Dean who, who sing, sometimes He calms the storm. But at other times, He calms His child. See, sometimes He speaks to the storm, peace, be still. But at other times, He speaks to the hearts of those in the midst of the storm, peace, be still. And He lets the storm rage around them for a while. So rebuking their spirit is not condescending, it is actually building them up in the faith. So that they could perhaps even say to themselves, like, like David the psalmist said when he said, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. David said that preaching to himself, probably the str- struggling with depression in the midst of the storms. It's, I can't see the other side of the wall. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. David begins to preach to himself, and he's able to say, I will praise Him. It's difficult when we can't see, can't experience God and all that. We become, just like we saw in the Sermon on the Mount again, we become professing Christians, but practicing atheists. Professing Christians, but practicing atheists. We may have even grown up saying the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord I believe, I believe, I believe. Oh, storm's coming. God, where are you? God, I can't see you. The story was told about a family during the German Blitz on England. A shell had hit a home. The father ran outside, his son with him. There was another great hole where another shell had earlier hit, but now it had kind of created a cave, created a safe place for them to go in the midst of all the shelling. The, the father dropped that, jumped down in the hole. It was a good little jump, maybe 10, 12 feet into the hole. And as he is there in this hole, and in this dark hole, he's looking back up and he sees his son standing on the edge and he's saying, son, jump! But the little boy is looking down into the hole and he can't see anything. It's dark. He says, dad, I can't see you. He said, son, jump. You know what it is. If, if light is behind someone... You can see them, but you at least see a silhouette, but they can't see you because they're looking into a dark place. And he says, Dad, I can't see you. As he's looking down, I can't see you. And the dad looks up and he says, But son, I can see you. Just jump. 
And in life, when we're in the midst of these storms, sometimes we're saying, God, I can't see you. God, I can't hear you. I don't know where you are, God. And God is trying to say to us, but I can see you. You say, well, I've lost sight of God, but God hasn't lost sight of you. I can't get my arms around this situation, God, but God's got His arms around you in the midst of the storm. Sometimes He rebukes the storm, but often He first rebukes His children. Ezra prays in Ezra chapter 9, verse 9, after they had been experiencing, Israel had experienced this great time of captivity, this, this time of being in another land as slaves, and Ezra says in his prayer, God has not abandoned us, and He still has a plan. Over and over again, the prophets were saying, God's not finished with Israel. God's still there. Even in your exile, He's going to bring you back. And I believe that that's a message to the church, to the children of God in the New Testament under the New Covenant. Jesus is saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not finished with you. Some of you are going through a storm in life and you think God's removed His hands and God's finished with me. If you're here this morning, if you have a desire for God whatsoever, it's because God's not finished with you yet. And even in the storm, He wants to reveal Himself to you. You're saying, I can't see it. can't get my arms around it, but He sees you. And He's holding on and He's not going to let go. So we see this rebuke followed third by this revelation. We see a revelation beginning in the second part of verse 26 while they're having their oh yeah moment. (laughs) He arose and He rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was calm. So the men marveled saying, who can this be that even the winds... In the sea, obey Him. While they were still saying, that's right, we're supposed to have faith in the midst of the storms, Jesus still rebuked the storm on their behalf. Why did He rebuke the storm? Because He can. Because He can. Because He's God and because He is sovereign. Jesus is, as we sang earlier, Lord of heaven and earth. Sovereign over every situation that we face. What was the point? (laughs) Verse 27, it was so that they would respond by saying, who can this be that even the winds and the wave obey Him? He cares for us. But more than that, Jesus was revealing that He had divine authority. He had royal authority authority to control even the weather which seemed most uncontrollable. Now in Matthew chapter 14, we see another encounter on the sea, but this time Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And in this situation, Jesus isn't in the boat, He's outside of the boat, and, and Peter's learned his lessons wherever Jesus is. That's where If Jesus is out there, I need to be out there. He's on the water, I want to walk on the water. He gets out of the boat, And then when the the waves begin to rise, Peter begins to sink, and he cries out the same prayer, Save me! (laughs) And Jesus reaches down and He pulls him out. Why? Because He can. And it was also a reminder that when things are over our head, they're under His feet. Are you upset for the fact that God has allowed a situation in your life that requires His intervention? 
You know, most of us like to quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But God, don't give me anything that I don't have control over. Wait a minute, then we don't need His strength. We want to say, I have God's strength inside of me, but Lord, I don't expect You to ever give me a situation where I might have to depend on it. Right? That's how we live our lives. God, I want to be filled with Your Spirit. I want to have Your strength. I want You to be able to do the supernatural in me. I want You to be able to do the supernatural through me. But Lord, I don't want You to ever put me in a situation where I would have to depend on the supernatural. And not my own intellect, not my own wisdom, not my own abilities. George Mueller, who has written so much about faith from his own life experiences, said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. In other words, God needs impossible situations in your life to show Himself faithful. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. Mueller goes on to say, there is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Faith begins where man's power ends. We have faith that God is going to do something. And that God can use us in the process a man was working with some kids with learning disabilities. And he began to learn that a lot of these kids with learning disabilities, he could teach them to do technical things. And so they were repairing all kinds of appliances. And he was working with these kids, repairing all kinds of appliances. The school noticed one day that one of the kids with learning disability was headed to this particular classroom. And in his hand, he had brought a broken toaster from home. And it was all the parts were there. It just wasn't all put together. But he's bringing this broken toaster from home to class that day so they could learn how to put it together. And you say, well, that's a testimony of faith, isn't it, man? He's bringing that because he knows they're going to put it together. Now, the faith was the fact that all the kids noticed what he had under the other arm. Under the other arm, he had a loaf of bread. See, he believed that his teacher was going to help him put it together. And he was so sure that he went ahead and brought the bread with him. Sometimes in life, you're like, I don't know if we can put all this together again. It seems like a mess. And if you're in a situation where the storms have come in and made it impossible for you to put it together, then give God the glory because only God can get the glory when everything's put back together again. When the impossible has been achieved, Nobody will look and say, well, he's a great man, she's a great woman, that's a great young person because they really got it all together. No, they'll look at your life and they'll look at my life and they'll say, He's a great God because I know they could have never figured that out. They could have never put all that back together. There there was no hope for that individual. There was no hope for that family. There was no hope for that church. There was no hope for that nation. They had to depend on God. And when that happens, only God gets the glory. I want us to close with a reminder from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 to 31. And I want you to read these aloud with me. We're going to put them on the overhead in the New New King James. And I want you to just read this out loud as as a profession of our faith this morning. And I pray that wherever you are in life, that this will be your claim, this will be your confidence. Are we ready? Read it out loud with me. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. 
His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Father, we claim that today. Not because of who we are, but because of who You are today. You are Lord of heaven and earth. You're Lord of all creation. And You are Lord of the storm. We thank You for that. Speak peace, be still into our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.